the word. And this morning we have the privilege to have Steve Gianho come and, and preach this morning. Um, Steve and I met through a mutual friend named Blake, and when I heard he was here, he lives in Puyallup. Um, excited to have him have an opportunity to try to make this work a couple other times, but uh, excited for him to come up. He's an elder down at Christ Church in Federal Way, and he brought his family, which takes up the entire row uh, there at some point. And they're missing one. They're down one, too. And so, but Steve, why don't you come up and uh, preach the word to us, and uh, excited to hear from you this morning. Awesome. Thank you. Uh, thank you for giving me the privilege to be able to be here, Joe. Over the years, as we've gotten a chance to know each other and spend time together. I've been blessed by Joe's heart for the Lord and his passion for just pastoral ministry and being able to serve the body of Christ in an area that's not, not so easy. I, I pastored for a number of years at a, as a, right down the road, Crossroads Bible Church. I was the um, college pastor there at the church, and I know that this area can be a little bit difficult to bro- boldly proclaim and preach the Word of God, and so I'm grateful that you have a week off just to uh, be able to be ministered to. I pray that this is a blessing to your heart. In 25 years of uh, service to the church and ministry, this is probably one of the most difficult seasons for leadership in the church. So I pray that you're regularly praying for your pastor and his family and for the leaders of the church, not just here, but, but abroad. And so um, thank you for the opportunity to be here in the leadership of the church. I'm I'm grateful. My wife is, is here with me. As, as Joe mentioned, we've been married now almost 25 years. Um, five children that are now all teenagers. And uh, I can say without a doubt that uh, children are still a blessing from the Lord. Um, we, are, we are grateful for that. There's definitely been seasons of difficulty and other things that have ebbed and flowed over the years. But as they've grown older, I, I feel as though our relationships have grown sweeter. Um, and that's because of Jesus, and I'm certainly, certainly thankful for that and extremely blessed by that as well. Um, I did serve as a college pastor for a number of years and then served as an administrative pastor um, at another church, but am currently one of the, on the elder pastor team at Christ Church in Federal Way, and uh, consider really that I've never left the call to full-time ministry. No matter what we're doing in life, I believe that we are called to be church men, church women committed to the body of Christ using our gifts and abilities wherever God has called us to serve the body of Christ and to serve the church faithfully. And so I'm grateful for, for those things and the opportunity as well. I learned from my father early on that the greatest ministry that I would ever have was to serve Christ and the church, to love my wife and family well and do that in connection with the local body of believers because that's where we're fed and that's where we're protected it's where we're loved and cared for. So it is great to see this church plant. I know we've prayed for you over the years to see what God is doing and God is growing in this area and to see your number continue to grow and increase is an encouragement to our hearts. So whenever we get an opportunity to partner with you guys or help uh, our church in any way with you, man, we would, uh, we would love that opportunity. Please turn in your Bibles to 2 Peter uh, chapter 3. I'm going to read for you our text in just a second, but I wanted to just give you a snapshot into my heart this morning. Being Palm Sunday, the desire here is that uh, we look at this context of what's going on on Palm Sunday and we consider a few things. The, the crowd goes from blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord to crucify him in the span of a week. How, how fickle 
is that? What is it about the nature of fallen man that we can end up being in this place where we can turn on a dime, if you will, being tossed to and fro? My prayer for you this morning is that as we look into the life of the Apostle Peter, we can learn some things about how we can guard our hearts from being tossed to and fro, as James tells us, and that we can become and be immovable and always abounding in the work of the Lord. Please follow along with me in our text, 2 Peter chapter 3, 14 through 18. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace, and count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstoppable twist to their own destruction, as they do the other scriptures. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Let's pray. Father, as we come to your word and look at the life of the Apostle Peter, Father, I pray that you would guide us now by your spirit. Use your word to instruct us, to mold us, to teach us, to gird us up in the truth and promises of your word that we might grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ, be fruitful in every good work, be committed to purity in our hearts, in our lives, and in the church, that we might magnify the name of Christ in all that we do. Father, by your spirit, give our eyes uh, clarity to be able to see the goodness of your promises through your word. Open our hearts, may they be receptive, and may you be honored and glorified and praised in all that is said and done. In Jesus' name, amen. July 21st, 1861. The first major battle of the Civil War started before dawn. The roar of artillery seemed to awaken everyone in Virginia as the Union and Confederate armies clashed among the farms by a stream called Bull Run. But a strange thing happened as the battle intensified. Hundreds of Washingtonians, senators, representatives, government workers, and their families all dressed in leisure apparel and were carrying on picnic baskets, raced to the hill near Manassas to watch the battle unfold. Armed with opera glasses to survey the fighting, they chatted amicably as men were slaughtered on the fields below. One northerner sympathized the sympathizer commented, that is splendid. Oh my, is that not first rate? I guess we'll be in Richmond this time tomorrow. Spirits were high, toasts were raised. All in all, they thought it a superb way to spend a summer afternoon. Suddenly, a rebel counterattack led by a hard-charging cavalry swept over the Union flank, putting the army to flight. Even to untrained eyes, the implications were obvious. The serene picnic ground was about to become a battle zone. Mass confusion erupted as the spectators fled just moments before the Confederate wave washed over the hill. 
The entertainment was over. The battle was upon them. The picnickers discovered something about war that day. You can't be close to it and safe from it at the same time. Only the naive think they can stand on the sidelines of warfare and merely be entertained. When war enters the scene, everything it touches becomes a battlefield. That's an excerpt that Dave Harvey wrote in one of his books. And I think it captures the essence of where the church is at right now, where we are at right now. We too can view certain issues or battles that are being fought in theological or doctrinal circles and think, that, that's out there. That's somebody else's problem. That, that's on the internet. That, that's for big church. That's for other people. For years, I think the church collectively has looked at some of those looming moral issues in our country and thought, ah, it's not really that big of a deal for us. It's not going to affect our church or our family or our Christian school or whatever context we are in. But I think this last year has served to wake us up to the reality that that battle, which we thought was way out there, is at our front door. For many of us, it's a part of our lives. The, the difficulties that we faced, even in the church, has been difficult, right? Even mainstream evangelicalism right now. If you're watching what's going on in social media, if you're seeing what's happening on a large scale, things are being attacked like never before in terms of some of our doctrinal theology, some of our positions, some of our beliefs, some of the things that were, quite honestly, quite simple for us to have unity over. COVID is not the threat to the church, friends. It is the great distraction for the church that has left us exposed to so much more dangerous warfare that is going on. We must not forget, as Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 6, that we what? We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers against authorities, against cosmic powers over the present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. This spiritual battle is raging for man to listen to the voices of man rather than to listen to the voice of God. Since the dawn of creation, we've seen this to be the case. Wouldn't we all agree, though, that we have come to recognize that in a newfound way this past year yeah many of you in your homes yeah right like even husbands and wives disagreeing about what a practical application of theology or doctrine would look like right and having am i the only one that right like even in our households with our children right as they grow up and they have minds of themselves and they're connecting the dots working through these issues brothers and sisters that have loved each other and served faithfully in the church 10 15 20 years elders that you've served with men that i know look across the table and not see things the same way right and the devil is trying to uproot us so how do we how do we navigate that how do we walk through that together we understand even from Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Remember when the serpent came. It was more crafty than any other beast in the field than the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say? 
that temptation to doubt God's word, to doubt his goodness to us, to doubt his promises has been there right from the beginning. There is nothing new that's going on. You shall not eat of any tree in the garden. Did God, did God really say that? Is that really what he meant? The war is over the mind. The war is over the mind that connects to our heart and leads us to do what we do and make the decisions that we, we make. We see this flip-flopping, this, this desire to, to move or, or, or turn in a different direction, right? Even from the children of Israel, right? In, in one moment, the children of Israel are praising God for his deliverance, for his uh, taking them through famine or disease or whatever it can be. And then seemingly in the next breath, they're grumbling and complaining, cursing God. I, I've looked at that sometimes and I thought, how, how, how could you walk through the Red Sea, have water on either side, and then a few days later be complaining? But yet I wake up tomorrow morning and I'm complaining about something, right? Can our hearts not be there so quickly where we're quick to give praise and we sing and we, and we gather our hearts before the Lord and then in a moment's notice, we're complaining. Our hearts are prone to search after things that we want to have our desires met. We want to crave after those things. Even in the life of the chosen apostles, look, look at the life of Peter, how quickly we go from one instance to another. In a few short moments, we, even, we see the crowds, right? The crowds, even on today, Palm Sunday, how quickly they move and, and change in their, in, their, in their feelings and where they at. So here we are on Palm Sunday. We, we read, I'm thankful for uh, Jonah, Jonah, right? Read from Luke. You look at John 12, Mark 11, we see the triumphal entry recorded in each of the Gospels. I want to look at Matthew 21, uh, verse 6 through 10, real quickly. Look at Matthew 21, 6 through 10, and look at Matthew's account of this. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put them on their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. And then just in a short time, turn over Matthew 27, verses 15 through 23. Now at the feast of the governor was accustomed to release for the crowd any one prisoner whom they wanted. And they had then a notorious prisoner called Barnabas, or Barabbas, I'm sorry. So when they had gathered, Pilate said to them, whom do you want me to release for you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? For he knew that it was out of envy that they had delivered him up. Besides, while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent word to him, have nothing to do with that righteous man, for I have suffered much because of him today in a dream. Now the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. 
the governor again said to them, which of these two do you want me to release to you? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, then what shall I do with Jesus, who I called Christ? They all said, let him be crucified. And he said, why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, let him be crucified. Look at verse 20. The chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd. That voice, that doubting of what was going on was evident. It was there and it disrupted the crowd. It changed their hearts. In Luke's account of the triumphal emperor, we see that the very end of Luke depicts this dissenting opinion in Luke chapter 19. You don't have to turn there. But this is where at the end of the story, the Pharisees in the crowd said, teacher, rebuke your disciples. Rebuke them for, for praising you as Hosanna. Someone quiet them, they said. And Jesus said, I tell you, if these were silent, even the stones would cry out. You remember that passage? It's familiar to us, right? Jesus was proclaiming the message of truth, and even then it was being undermined. The people were offering praises while the Pharisees were calling into question the very message of Jesus' existence and why he was there. One time the people go from Hosanna in the highest to crucify him. The children of Israel, the mobs, the crowds, the people. Look, look at this example in the story of Peter. Turn to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew 16, 13 through 28. This is a little bit longer of an introduction, but I want you to get, you, get this. I want you to understand that we are, we are all in this crowd together. This is one of the apostles Matthew 16, 13 through 28. I'm going to read this section. We're going to cover a lot of ground in Scripture today. I want you to engage. I want you to be there with me. Read this. Hear from God. Matthew 16, 13 through 28. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you lose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. How can we be prone to turn so quickly? The crowd is saying Hosanna, and the next time they're together, they're singing, let's crucify him. 
One moment, Jesus is praising Peter for literally being a mouthpiece for God. And in the next, being told that he is being used of Satan. Does that not sober anyone else up to the reality of where that is? That juxtaposition between I'm a mouthpiece and vessel for God and in a moment's notice, if influenced the wrong way, I can be used of Satan to, dis- to deliver his message? Friends, that should, that should certainly tune our hearts to want to understand how we cannot end up in that situation. How we could be firmly rooted and grounded in the truth of God's word and in the scriptures so that we don't end up in that moment. How we cannot go from palms and praises to cursing and the cross. I want to pick up on this and I want to unpack this for us. Matthew 16, verse 23, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. And this is what I want to dig into this morning. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God but on the things of man. You are a hindrance. And what's what's the reason? What's the connection? This word for, right? A conjunction that acts as the ground or the basis for what is going to be said next in the text. You are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Setting your mind to think in a particular manner, to hold a view to have an attitude, set your mind on the things of the Lord. Same language used in Romans chapter 8, verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, set their minds on things of the Spirit. Again, we see it in Colossians chapter 2, 3, verse 2. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things above that are on earth. Boy, think about this for the life of Peter. Peter was the one that ultimately denied Christ, right? But yet, in his life, he was a martyr. He died for the name of Christ. And it's believed through historical record that when he was brought to his death, he did not even want to die the same death as Christ. He insisted that he be crucified upside down because he wasn't worthy to die the same way as his Savior. So there is much we can learn at the end of Peter's life when he comes, when we come to our text that we're going to go through. Talk about discouraging for Peter. Talk about discouraging. No wonder why he is considered the apostle of hope, the apostle of of hope, because he gives us a, a map. He gives us a roadmap, some guidelines into how we can live a life that will not be in this juxtaposition. How did Peter get it all sorted out? Let's look at the text. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 14 through 18. I see six critical insights for us that Peter gives us in this text so that we are, as verse 17 says, we are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose our stability. That's the goal this morning. That's our heart. Peter, we want to hear from you. We want to hear how you take us through this experience of yours, how you speak to us from God's word so that we are not carried away with error of lawless people and lose our stability. Look at point number one, verse 14. 
Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found in him without spot or blemish and at peace. We must first, number one, be pure. Be pure. Be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish. Our lives, brothers and sisters, are to be marked by purity. Pursue purity in all you do. Look at me. Look at what 1 Peter says in 1 Peter 1, 13 through 16. 1 Peter 1, 13 through 16. Therefore, prepare your minds for action and be sober-minded. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all of your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Friends, are you living that way? Not, not that one day we would be holy, for we will be in Christ when ultimately we are made in our glorified state completely holy. We understand that in a substitutionary work, Christ stands before the throne of God wholly on our behalf, but yet we struggle in this body of death. But are you pursuing holiness? When Christ returns to look at your life and he sees you, are you holy in all of your conduct, in all of your action? What are you filling your mind with? What are you allowing yourself to be consumed by? Is it honoring to Christ? It says in the text that we are to be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish. Diligent in our pursuit of that. That requires that we exercise discernment. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, your Netflix choices. Are they holy? Are you pursuing holiness in every aspect of your life? Proverbs 4.23 says, Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flows the springs of life. We need to exercise discernment, friends, as we consider that. I, I, I have this handout that we might make available, but I'm going to go through this real quickly. To discern, to discern, keep this with you. Mark this in every one of your endeavors as you're allowing your mind for things to come into it. I'm going to go through these quickly for the sake of time. D, does this bring glory to God? 1 Corinthians 10, 31. I, how will this incline my affections? How will this incline my affections? Philippians 4, verse 8 says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, for if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, Think about these things. How many times are you thinking about things that are the exact opposite of that? Because you're allowing your mind to be consumed with those things. Friend, ask yourself the question, this is going to take my heart somewhere. Where is it going to lead me? How will this incline my affections? S, will this have a sanctifying work in my heart? If I am to be diligent in these things, I have to ask myself that question. How is this going to help me grow in godliness? How is this going to help me be more like Jesus? Colossians 1.10. C, 
Will I be celebrating or condoning sin? How subtly has this happened in our cultural context, right? Can we remember years ago where uh, a scene of homosexuality or whatever would have been on a TV show or a movie and we would have been like, oh, that's awful, right? The birth of modern family, the, 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 the shows that are pervasive in our culture and our time, now it's just, well, it's no big deal. That's sort of what the world does. And, and we can be like that boiling frog where so much around us is dishonoring to God and we join in in celebrating it. We join in in being entertained by it. May it never be for us, friends. I'm not saying delete every social media engagement that you have. Don't ever watch a movie. Don't ever be involved in any of that. No, but exercise discernment. How is it affecting your heart? If you are there commending and celebrating and giving praise to the things that your Savior died for, that should prick your heart, friend. E. What in me is being entertained or what am I enjoying? Colossians 3, verses 1 through 7. If we have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. Read that when you get a second. Colossians 3, 1 through 7. What in me and be is entertained or what am I enjoying are. This is a big one for us. This is a big one for us. I know it's one that I have to continually struggle with. R, will this rob me of time or require my indifference? How much time can we spend just sitting there scrolling endlessly, right? About things that have no eternal value or significance. Just, whoa, 20 minutes just went by. I didn't do anything of eternal value. Will this rob me of time or require me of indifference? Remember what Peter said in the passage that we just read. Be sober-minded, right? Prepare your minds for action. Don't be complacent. Don't think that it's not affecting us in some way. We have to be on guard. It's that whole battlefield versus playground mentality, right? that we read about early on in that, in, that, in that excerpt. If we think we're living on a playground, then who cares? What's 20 minutes? What's an hour? What's a day? What's a week? No big deal. We're on the playground. Friends, we're not on a playground. God has called us to the battlefield, to the mission field. Our time, Lord, teach me to number my days. Give me a heart of wisdom that I might honor you in all that I do and say. How about using 20 minutes to send a text to somebody to pray for them? or to find out how you can pray for them, or to, or to minister them in some way. Be profitable with our time. N, is this necessary? N, is it necessary? Ephesians 5, 15 through 16. Is this necessary? Ask yourself those questions. Discern regularly so that you can be diligent. Point number two, be at peace. Verse 14, end at peace, the text says. Our lives to be marked by peace. Friend, has this year exposed in your heart how your peace is so fragile? Maybe it's just me. How, how disruptive 
this last year was, right? And unsettling and all of a sudden, you know, everything's up in the air and there's so much uncertainty. Are we living with a peace that scripture says surpasses all understanding? When you rub shoulders with the world and their lives are in upside down and in upheaval about all the uncertainty and everything that's going on, do they walk away from that encounter with you going, wow, this person has a hope and a peace and a joy that is nothing like what I have. How do they have that? That's the lives that we are to be marked by. Rejoice in the Lord always, Philippians 4, 4 through 7 says. Rejoice, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And then catch this. Look at this promise, friends. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Here's what the devil knows which you may not. When you are not at peace, your heart is exposed to attack. When you are not at peace, your heart is exposed to attack. This last year has shown us that. COVID is the Trojan horse that has come into each one of our lives, making us think that the issue is COVID. It's not COVID. It's how are you processing all of the things that are behind that in light of God's word, in light of God's promises, in light of what God would have us do. It is the peace of God that brings this to us. It is what sustains our hearts. Look, the beauty is we'll, it will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. Love that promise. I've heard it said that uh, we could be too heavenly-minded that we're not any earthly good? There's nothing true about that at all. Sure, if you want to talk about legalism or you're going to talk about being self-righteous, of course. But friends, we need to be more heavenly-minded so that we are earthly good with our perspectives and what we share and what we do. For those of you that are in Christ, he says that he will never leave us. He will never forsake us. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Remember, in the midst of everything that's going on, we serve a God who is completely sovereign. He is in control of every microscopic element in the entire universe. He holds them all together. He is completely sovereign. He is infinite in wisdom, and he is perfect in love. Amen? A amen? Do you believe that's your God? right? He's the one that rode in on a donkey with the, with the palms being laid down and gave his life for us so that we would have access to God, that he would come and live and dwell in our hearts. Is that your God, church? Amen? We must live that way. Third point, be patient. Be patient. Verse 15, count the patience of the Lord as salvation. Boy, do you long for heaven, church? Do you long for heaven? Are you, are you patiently awaiting Christ's return to take us home? Do you, do you live in light of that? 2 Peter 3, 9 says this, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, 
not wishing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Peter draws this thought from the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah writes about this to explain to, to us so that Peter grabs this, the, county, the continuing patience of the Lord is our salvation. Look what Isaiah says. We don't have time to turn there. Isaiah 30, verse 18. Therefore, the Lord waits to be gracious to you, and therefore he exalts himself to show mercy to you. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are those who wait for him. Friends, do you realize that every day that God has given us is another day of God's expression of his mercy and his grace and his kindness to us? Every day, no, no matter what that day may bring, no matter how difficult that may be for us, no matter how quickly an event can turn tragic, every day is an expression of God's goodness and his grace till he calls us home. We don't have to right every wrong. We don't have to fix every social ill. We are here to proclaim the mercies of Christ in how we live and what we do. Are you waiting for him, church? Are you eager to grab the people around you to share the good news of Christ with them so that when he comes and when he returns, you are found ready in that work? Point number four, be poised and purposeful. Verse 17 says, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. Our lives are to be marked by this stability, friends. Paul warns us in Ephesians 4 that we are not to be tossed to and fro by the waves of every whim and doctrine and opinion that is out there, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Peter is very, very instructive to us here. He says, take care. Knowing this beforehand, he says, I've warned you. I've warned you that there are going to be false teachers that even are going to come even in the church. I've warned you about this. Be ready. Be on guard. Be, uh, be, be ready for this persecution. Be ready for this to come. Be watchful. That is why I chose this term to be poised, to be poised, just like a good athlete, right? You think, I think of, when I think of being poised, I think of a point guard in basketball, or I think of a shortstop in baseball. They're always ready for whatever is going to happen next. Sometimes I feel like in the church, we can be a little bit like, um, oh, wasn't ready for that, right? And we're caught off guard. But if we're, if we're poised, if we're purposeful, if we have that vision in our minds and on our lips all the time, we are going to be ready for the things that happened. I also draw from this text that we're to be purposeful. I'm taking that last portion there that we can lose our stability, when we go into a situation and we are not purposeful, we can get off track quickly, right? I'm thinking here, Daniel, right? Daniel purposed in his heart before he went before the king that he would not defile himself. I'm thinking Joshua, purposeful. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I purposed beforehand so when those temptations come, when those doubts come, we stand our ground in Christ. We're not wish-washy, trying to figure this out, flip a coin, what do we do now kind of Christians. We have purpose. We have conviction. We are Psalm 1, Psalm 1 believers. Point number five, be pursuing Christ. 
Be pursuing Christ, friends. Verse 18, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our lives are to be marked by this aim of glorifying God in all things. 1 Corinthians 10, 31, right? Colossians 1, 9 through 14, write that down. We, again, we don't have time to cover all the bases here, but in your small groups, in your discussions together, look at some of these passages, unpack them. 1 Corinthians 10, 31, Colossians 1, 9 through 14. Peter nails this, absolutely nails this principle earlier in his writing. You've got to turn here to this one. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. Let me read this to you and get this. You are to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Listen to what the Apostle Peter says, verse 1. 2 Peter chapter 1, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have attained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of our Jesus and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, catch this, catch this church, for this very reason, verse five, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Forever la for whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers... Be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these things, these qualities, you will never fail. You will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an inheritance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Are those yours? Are you pursuing them diligently? Do you take serious your time in the word to learn and to glean? Do you show up on Sunday morning with a, a hard hat, steel toe boots mindset with your journal open, ready to receive and learn and study God's word and hear from him? Sometimes we have this laid back approach, this attitude of like, ah, you know, we're just going to sort of, just going to chill. Gonna, let me grab my coffee. Think about where we're going to go to lunch afterwards. How many times have you walked out here and thought, oh, let's just go to chick No, <laughs> closed on Sunday, right? No Chick-fil-A. But, but do we have a wartime mindset when we come to think, hey, this is serious. I am being equipped by the church to do the work of the ministry, to go out there and, and, and be salt, be light, be who God has called me to be, and I need to get my game ready for that dependent upon Christ, spirit-led, but taking this time seriously before the, the, before the Lord. Boy, certainly the apostle Peter did, right? I mean, look at that text and what he told us, how he told us and commanded us to be pursuing these things. 
Sixthly and lastly, be about his praise. Be about his praise. To him be the glory both now and forever and all of eternity. Is your, is your life marked by giving praise to God? Having a spirit of thankfulness. Friends, I can't tell you how many times in the last year I've had to slap myself or remind our family like, hey, be grateful, be thankful, be praising God. When I am revolting against my situation, I'm just basically saying, God, I know better than you. This shouldn't be this way. Right? Is that, is that not what I'm saying to a sovereign, holy God who is completely sovereign, who is infinite in wisdom and perfect in love? God, what are you doing? This isn't the way I want it. No. May praise be continually on our lips. Let God's word flow in your heart. I don't know what you have to do practically, friend. Listen to some worship music. Download an app on your phone to have scripture read to you. I mean, there's some great technology that is out there. But may our lips be continually praising God in all that we do. Because that is how people are going to, as Peter tells us, ask us of the reason of the hope that is within us. Right? Because we demonstrate that hope. We demonstrate that joy, that promise that comes from him and we go out and we do it not in our strength not in anything that we would take credit for there's a beautiful song by city a light i just want to leave you with this thought you could just just listen i'm certainly not going to sing it for you because it ruined the whole thing but listen listen to this song maybe maybe even just as a prayer close your eyes and and think about this as we as we wrap this up what gift of grace is Jesus my Redeemer. There is no more for heaven now to give. He is my joy, my righteousness and freedom, my steadfast love, my deep and boundless peace. To this I hold, my hope is only Jesus. For my life is wholly bound to his. How strange and divine I can sing, all is mine. Yet not I, but through Christ in me. The night is dark, but I am not forsaken. For by my side, the Savior, he will stay. I labor on in weakness and rejoicing, for in my need, his power is displayed. To this I hold, my shepherd will defend me. Through the deepest valley, he will lead. Oh, the night has been won, and I shall overcome. Yet not I, but Christ in me. No fate I dread. I know I am forgiven, the future sure, the price it has been paid. For Jesus bled and suffered for my pardon, and he was raised to overthrow the grave. To this I hold my sin has been defeated. Jesus now and ever is my plea. Oh, the chains are released, I can sing, I am free. Yet not I, but Christ in me. With every breath, I long to follow Jesus for he has said that he will bring me home and day by day I know he will renew me until I stand with joy before the throne. To this I hold my hope is only Jesus all the glory evermore to him. When the race is complete still my lips shall repeat yet not I but through Christ in me. Father, thank you so 
much for your word. Thank you for the reminder in your text this morning, in the preaching of the Apostle Peter, that our lives must first be pure, that they must be at peace, that they must be patient, that they must be poised and purposeful, and that we must be pursuing you in all things and giving you praise. Father, help us to that end. We need your spirit to empower us as we go forth to be the salt and the light that you have called us to be. We love you and we thank you, Father. And all God's people said, amen.